This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. And let's do it. Let's set the Business Week agenda with Kathleen Hayes, Global Economics and Policy Editor at Bloomberg News, here in our Bloomberg NYC Bureau. Dave Wilson, Stacks Editor at Bloomberg News on the remote access from New Jersey. Kathleen, this is your day. Tell us what we need to know about uh, that Fed decision. Well, as you said, this is pretty much as expected because the Federal Reserve, especially in its policy statement, look at one, two, three, four, five paragraphs, terse, closely watched, and and very carefully worded. They're not going to give us any nuances, any, well, maybe we are thinking about thinking about thinking about, you know, when we have to start tapering, nothing like that. We have to wait for Jay Powell, the Fed chair's testimony, uh, his is grilling by reporters, which starts now less than a half an hour from now. You know, I quickly popped up one of the coolest things we have on the Bloomberg Terminal. As soon as we get those headlines out, we also have the statement comparison. Mm-hmm. And right at the top, compare March 17th meeting to April 28th, they changed this wording about how they're looking at the economy before they preceded their statement of um, seeing, you know, somewhat better growth, etc. They started with following a moderation in the pace of recovery. Uh, economic indicators have turned up recently, although, you know, inflation is still not near target. But today, it starts with, I think this is important, mm-hmm. amid progress on vaccinations and a and strong policy support. This is what every, everybody's saying. We saw that strong consumer confidence report yesterday. A lot of people saying, hey, Fed, you're going to face an economic boom driven by, uh, first of all, the um, the the vaccines, but maybe even, first of all, the fiscal stimulus, right, and right. reopenings. So this is what Jay Powell's going to get grilled about. The market didn't move much. I, I, like you, Carol, was keeping my eye on the bond markets before. I think the 30-year got a little bit weaker. Yeah. So maybe they were hoping for something they didn't get or fearing something. But for now, uh, we just have to wait to hear from Jay Powell. And looking at that statement a little bit further, Kathleen, the sectors most adversely affected by the pandemic remain weak but have shown improvement. So again, a little bit uh, insight, mm-hmm. Tim, into what the Fed had to say. Hey, Dave Wilson, come on in here and give us the uh, equity markets reaction because there was a little bit of a flip, right? The tiny dip reverse that we that we saw, right? When those minutes, uh, when those uh, headlines came out, uh, that reversed very quickly. Yeah, bounce down, a bounce up, and I love when you know, it, when the S and P's down one and then it's up two, right? That's a flip. It was like uh, it means the tiniest of possible flips. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Doesn't get much smaller. Exactly. Than that. I mean, we're sort of on the same wavelength, Carol. I mean, not much of a move Sorry, at all. You know, though we, we did see the S and P 500 get to the low of the day before mm-hmm. it bounced up and, and then pulled back. I mean, you're talking about you know a relatively narrow range for the index post statement, uh, no question. So you're left with a market that's really focusing on earnings because Fed's policy is steady as she goes. Uh, you know, they're going to keep up their bond buying and all the rest. So, you know, you're, you're kind of left with, you know, what do you get out of first quarter results to drive uh, the market? And the short answer is not much because you've got pretty big moves in either direction, you know, kind of canceling each other out to some extent. So, you know, that's really the story of the day as much as anything. Mm. So what 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 is any sort of surprise in here, Kathleen, that you've seen as you had a few minutes to dive into the statement a little? Is anything well, sticking know, out or is everything say, as expected? 
Sure. Um, well, I could say for, I could say a surprise is that they're not a little more optimistic, mm. uh, given some of the numbers we've seen. We had such a strong uh, jobs report last month. Uh, uh, we've and, and yeah, where's just, and, their like taking off the mask? <laughs> well, yeah, well, but you know what? It's interesting because uh, I, this is this is something that's very important to the Fed, mm -hmm. and I would be, be willing to wager. And I know when I asked Jim Bullard about this, President St. Louis Fed, what was that about a week and a half ago now? About what? what how do you see the end of the pandemic? He was talking about well, seventy five to 80 percent of the people vaccinated for example but i'll bet you that for the fed uh this is going to be when you can take off the mask carol and the cdc people don't read the news enough or listen to bloomberg enough mm. because a couple days ago they said if you're outside hey guess what we don't you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated and they probably in their heart of hearts are saying uh that maybe you didn't need to wear a mask you don't need to wear one at all but that's the kind of thing that's going to encourage people to really get out the reopenings that have started to get even stronger that's what the fed is waiting to see but we're at the beginning. We haven't seen it yet. But again, uh, to your uh, question, uh, I think the fact that they start with progress on vaccinations, strong policy report. And remember, this is the same day that Joe Biden hits the world, hits uh, hits us with his plan. It's going to cost a lot of money, but it could make even more of a boost. This is what the Fed's going to have to, at some point, probably not in the too distant future, start grappling with. Well, is this an, a situation, Kathleen, and of course we're going to hear from Fed Chair uh, Jay Powell in just about 22 minutes from now. We'll take everybody live to Fed headquarters when he begins uh, holding that press conference. But is it a case of, you know, what he what the fed says versus what the fed does right they did nothing they did change nothing essentially in just a few words in that release but i mean they're going to get a lot of questions so what holds more weight actions by the fed right now or what their tone and what they might say in that press conference later on i for i think for the markets and many people watching the fed it's the tone it does jay powell start giving us more of a, a sense that okay the more we get this this vaccine, this virus behind us, the and with all this tremendous amount of spending, I mean, think about it. The Fed started this new framework, right? We're mm -hmm. gonna we have to see inflation above two percent and staying there. We have to see full employment back for in a period of years when they could not get inflation to move higher. They couldn't even get it to two percent, let it, let alone having staying there. But hey, Fed. Look where we are now, the largest peacetime stimulus for the United States in modern history. Look at all the people in the market saying, you know, there's going to be more inflation and it may not prove to be transitory. So I think this is the kind of thing that we need to hear more from Jay Powell because they're not going to raise rates for a while. That's fine. But we need to know when are you going to start? buying so many bonds. That was an emergency move, you guys, right? Just like keeping the key rate at zero. Are we really in an emergency now, right? Mm -hmm. When do you start whittling that back? I think, Carol, that's a great question. And again, if, if Jay Powell may just keep saying, nope, not ready, not ready, not ready, but that's what everybody's waiting to hear. Hey, Dave, uh, do equity investors and do companies buy uh, the fact that the Fed continues to say inflation is due to, quote, transitory factors, higher prices, we've heard, and input costs from Kimberly Clark, Procter & Gamble. Mondelez. Mondelez, I'll say it. Spotify Those prices Oreos are going are expensive. up. <laughs> they are. Well, I mean, let's face it. Food and energy prices, you know, you kind of take them out of the core calculation of inflation. But when you're talking about food companies, you know, what they pay for the raw materials is certainly a big piece of their cost. So to that extent, it's out there. And it's not just the food industry. We've seen other companies talk about how they've seen prices going up, whether it comes to raw materials or transportation. So it's an issue out there. Whether it's one that the Fed is ready to tackle is a whole nother story. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio.
You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Carol Master, Tim Stanovic in our interactive broker studio. Fed officials strengthening their assessment of the economy today, signaling that risks have diminished while leaving their policy interest rate near zero and maintaining a $120 billion monthly pace of asset purchases. Man, it's exactly what everybody was forecasting. So let's get to it. Let's talk about this decision. Ira Jersey's chief U.S. interest rate strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence joins us on the phone from New Jersey. And Lindsay Piegza, chief economist at Stiefel, joins us on the phone from Chicago. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us. Ira, I want to start with you, your uh, re reaction when this came out just uh, 15 minutes ago. Yeah, pretty much what we were expecting, you know, the, the modest mark to market of the economic outlook, I think, was largely anticipated. And, yeah, you know, the, the one thing that was maybe a, a ever so slight surprise was a little bit of a uh, downgrade to the risks to the economy statement that appear in the third paragraph. So, you know, it's very incremental. I, I think more important is going to be what Jay Powell says, and if he lets slip anything about maybe when they're going to start thinking about uh, reducing asset purchases. So what you're referring to is the path of the economy will depend significantly on the course of the virus, including progress on vaccinations, the ongoing public health crisis continues to weigh on the economy, and risks to the economic outlook remain. That's, that's what you're not referring 10, to. That's not 10, that's the Fed statement. Yeah, sorry, that's the Fed yeah, speaking. That, that's that, what you're, that's, that's exactly the third paragraph that, yeah, in the so release. That's the new Fed statement, yeah. but it used to say that the uh, that, that opposes considerable risk, right? So now it just is a risk, as right. opposed to a considerable risk and I think that's that's a, an ever so slight uh, you know modest upgrade I think to their their outlook and um, but, but but more importantly I think is going to be you know eventually they're going to start to reduce their asset purchases and what we're going to be listening for during the statement is any hint as to when they're going to think about that there were some big trades put on uh, in some uh, some rates products for August maybe at Jackson Hole for it to be kind of hinted that they're going to be thinking about uh, reducing their asset purchases so um, yeah, you know that there's a lot of moving parts here, but but that has to be the first um, act that's going to be you know less dovish by the by the Fed, uh, and that's probably going to come next year. But they're going to start talking about it at some point, probably this year. Right, and that Jackson Hole meeting, right? That's going to be over the summer, typically, right? So we'll see uh, whether or not that uh, we get anything out of that. Hey, Lindsay, come on in. Thanks for your patience. Uh, what's your take on uh, the Fed decision? Well, again, the the policy decision uh, very much in line with expectations terms of asset purchases and rates. I did like that the Fed uh, acknowledged the recent improvements in the domestic economy. I think that helps the committee maintain their credibility, that they're not completely ignoring the steps that we have taken in the right direction. But they weighted that appropriately with the, the sense that the recovery is still far from complete and continued support is still warranted. So really acknowledging, again, what's happening in the marketplace juxtaposed with their continued initiatives to keep the economy on track. But uh, to the earlier point, I, I do think it's very clear that the chairman uh, has no intention of raising rates or removing uh, asset purchases anytime in the near future. They've been clear that they want to offer adequate timing, adequate preparation time, for the market to adjust to any sort of taper, and uh, none, uh, no discussion was seen in the statement at this point. So not only are they not adjusting policy, they're not even outlining a timeline for that adjustment at this point. All right, I gotta ask you, somebody uh, tweeting out, I, I sure as hell don't wanna be the guy, uh, or known as the guy that crashed the party with a picture of Jay Powell. How much of what Jay Powell is doing, I mean, listen, it feels like he's a very thoughtful, steady Fed chair, and looking at, kind of all of the economy that's going on, but we have heard from him time and time again that he's willing to let maybe inflation run a little hot. Like the, the, the fear is they don't wanna do anything that slows any of the comeback economic momentum. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right. But the, the you know the. The point that this Federal Reserve has learned, like they've taken all the lessons from the past, and, and, and particularly from after the, the global financial crisis, and that is that it's easier to deal with inflation than deflation. We know how to deal with runaway inflation, right? We know that we can slow the economy down. We know that we can raise interest rates to 20% like Paul Volcker did back in the 1980s, right? We, we know that there's a path to do that. But the, the trick is, is that nowhere in the world, when you have demographics as poor as they are, with debt burdens where they are as well, for you to, to generate inflation in a way that you know Milton Friedman would be happy with in, in terms of, of monetary stimulus, right? So 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 we we know that monetary stimulus doesn't work the way that we thought it did um, prior to uh, prior to the 1980s. So so now we have to deal with you know will we get back on track? Will we reach these levels that the market is currently pricing in terms of inflation? We're pricing two and a half percent inflation over the next five years. Um, how do we get there? And you know what that looks like is going to be very important to the Fed. And, and they keep on talking about, and they said it again in this statement, that any inflation is likely to be transitory. So they're not really worried about near-term little spikes in inflation. They want to see inflation go up, and they want to see that being driven by wages and uh, for, for employment to be the driver of uh, inflation going forward, because that, that really is what helps the consumer sector and uh, the economy in general. Well, Lindsay, what, what to that point uh, and to that end, what does transitory actually mean? How many quarters do we need to hear from, from companies saying that their inputs are costing more and that they are planning on raising prices for inflation not necessarily to be transitory? Well, from a consumer standpoint, transitory is, is going to be a very short period of time because we're going to start to feel that uh, in a matter of months. But from a monetary policy standpoint, uh, the framework that the Fed is now using is a longer-term approach to inflation. So they're willing to be patient uh, against the backdrop of rising rates for uh, potentially several quarters. In fact, just to put this in perspective, the average rate of excuse me, the average rate of inflation has been averaging 1.3 percent since 2015. So potentially, the Fed could allow inflation to run at 3 percent for the next five years and still not exceed their longer-term average of 2 percent. So the Fed really has the luxury now under this new framework to be very patient and allow inflation to temporarily run hot much longer than consumers or producers would like. But again, from a monetary policy standpoint, there's not going to be any pressure on the Fed to act anytime soon. Two things I want to bring to your attention. Uh, one of our listeners and followers on YouTube uh, tweeting out, if their assessment is so positive, why are the why are they buying assets at a $1.4 trillion annual rate? At the same time, uh, like uh, the two of you, Ira and Lindsay, Julia Coronado, also familiar to our Bloomberg audience, says the removal of considerable to characterize risks in the FOMC policy statement confirms an evolution has begun, although they cite the role policy is playing in supporting the recovery twice in the first paragraph, underscoring patience and the gradual nature of this evolution. I mean, Lindsay, it makes me wonder, you know, right, if, if the Fed hadn't been doing what they had have been doing over the past 13 months and counting, um, safe to say we'd be in a different spot. Well, I don't think it's just the Fed. I think it's the federal government, too. Correct. And I think the, the Federal Reserve is acknowledging the fact that, look, we're going to see stellar growth in the first quarter when we get that GDP report. And it's likely going to be a, a pretty solid 
growth profile for much of 2021. But what happens when we start to remove that punch bowl? So the Fed is acknowledging the fact that we've taken steps in the right direction, but much of that growth is very artificial in nature, reliant on these uh, unprecedented policy supports. So the Fed is saying we're not ready to remove that support until we know that the recovery is organic in nature and we're going to start seeing that organic improvement in consumption and business investment independent of these direct payments or enhanced benefits from the federal government. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Carol Masser, along with Tim Stenovic in our interactive broker studio, our conversation around that latest Fed decision, third of the year, this 2021 year. And the Fed uh, strengthening their assessment of the economy, signaling that risks have diminished while leaving their policy interest rate near zero, maintaining that $120 billion monthly pace of asset purchases, which is what everyone was predicting. We're still here with Ira Jersey, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence, on the phone in New Jersey. Lindsay Piegs also with us, Chief Economist at Stiefel Financial, on the phone from Chicago. So, Ira, what's next? What are the data points that you focus on to kind of get an idea of the trajectory of where we go from here and to kind of of keep a watch on you know whether or not inflation truly is just transitory well i think it's all the standards so it is the employment report it's retail sales things like that because that is a, such a huge part of the economy uh, i look at a lot of the internals of cpi and and one of the things that we have to realize is that over the past decade over the decade in between the great financial crisis and the onset of the COVID, COVID pandemic crisis we had basically goods prices continued to uh, actually decline modestly almost every single year um, meanwhile you had wages that continued to, to be higher so when you look at things like core services prices which tend to be driven by wage growth those were pretty good prior to the pandemic goods prices on the other hand kept on slipping and they were there was plenty of supply there weren't any issues in the supply chain like you've had over the past couple of um, couple of quarters now that's flipped so now what we're seeing is we're seeing goods prices going up so when when carol when you mention mm -hmm. that companies are saying that they have to raise prices because their inputs are up those aren't service companies those are goods companies right. that's only twenty percent of the economy that's the other sixty percent of the economy that's core services driven by wages and wages still are not climbing particularly fast and there's still large portions of the economy where wages are actually falling because there's not jobs anymore there's you know a lot of service sector businesses have closed because of the pandemic and it'll take a long time for them to reopen so i think what, when we talk about you know headline inflation we could see that be high because of food prices but core inflation is still not likely to be much higher than two percent over the next year at least based on our our uh, forecast good point yeah lindsay same question to you data points that you're looking at that you think could potentially change the way that the fed is thinking about things well, we're a consumer-based economy, so I do think, first and foremost, we need to focus on the health of the consumer. But unfortunately, we're not going to get clean data on the consumer for several months. We're still going to see the impact of that March stimulus package, those direct checks uh, flooding into the economy. So we're going to have to be patient for a couple of months before we can really see that underlying momentum of how the consumer is faring out in the marketplace. Also, inflation. This is going to be some key uh, data points for the Fed to justify their policy response against the backdrop of the message that they're sending that these price increases are going to be temporary, going to be transitory. Uh, on the heels of, of what was just said, I do think it's important to note that inflation numbers are likely to get worse before they get better. Even if we just see a minimal one-tenth of a percentage point uh, growth on a monthly basis in the next uh, 60 days, the headline is likely to push well over 4%. So mm. there's still more pressure to come, but again, the Fed is going to focus on the fact 
fact that this is more of a reflation trade or some of those lower lows of 2020 falling out as opposed to sustained inflation. Well, and I want to mention, too, when we got visa earnings uh, last night and the visa CEO has been uh, on various airwaves saying that they see the beginning of the end of pandemic spending woes. So uh, their debit card volume soared after those stimulus payments. So we definitely did see that direct impact. We heard that from Chipotle CEO uh, talking about the stimulus impacts um, in addition to their new quesadilla, which is really amazing. Uh, But nonetheless, stimulus payments having an impact. So Ira, you know, when we talk about inflation and we I just heard, you know, heard Lindsay talk about 4%, you know, in terms of uh, inflation too, like, what does that mean in terms of rates? Will we see the yield curve edging up or continuing to edge up? How do you see it? Yeah, I, I do think that we'll see higher yields. Uh, our, our base case scenario is that for year end, we'll have uh, 2%, over 2% 10 year yields mm-hmm. by, by the end of the year. And I think that belly of the curve, the five year, the seven year sector is going to continue to underperform as we start to price for interest rate hikes in 2023 or 2024 in a more aggressive fashion. Um, you know, even if we don't actually, those are never realized, the market tends to, you know, sometimes be a little bit too optimistic. You go back 10 years ago, and that's exactly what happened. You always had, you had for three years, we were always pricing for hikes 18 months forward. So I think we might get a similar situation this time. Hey, Lindsay, we are just a couple minutes away from hearing from Fed Chair Jerome Powell. If you were there on the, on the Zoom today, what would you ask him? I'd really ask him, uh, what does he expect in terms of the timeline for rolling back policy accommodation based on the expectation that inflation will be transitory through the summer months and start to abate towards the end of the year? And also what his expectations are for an organic growth profile. If we do eventually see the government's uh, seemingly insatiable appetite to spend start to dissipate as we head towards 2022. All right, let's put that question to you, Ira. So you're up there. What would you ask? Uh, yeah, I actually like that, that second part of the question that, that, that you just asked is because, you know, he's not going to answer direct questions as like, when are you going to take He's going to say March but, 13, 2022. I'm yeah. with you guys. No, he's not going to yeah, do that. Something like that. I mean, which, which actually that, that is our expectation, quite frankly. But, but, the, uh, um, but, but, but I think, you know, what, what would it take for the committee to significantly shift its policy, right? So what, what, what exactly are they looking for in terms of, defining transitory, defining, you know, what is organic growth. Like, those, those are the, I think, keywords that have to be defined in order for, um, for, for the market to kind of understand what the Fed's reaction function ultimately will be. Yeah, I'm guessing that he's going to get that question, Ira, like 10 different ways. <laughs> That's very likely. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Hey, guys, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, Ira Jersey, he is Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence on the phone from Princeton, New Jersey. Lindsay Piegza, Chief Economist, well-known to our Bloomberg audience uh, over at Stiefel Financial. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes' Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. I love me some Fed Wednesday. I do too. Right? Like Getting just, into it. Yeah, it's just kind of a nice check. I like to hear from Jay Powell what he has to say. So let's see what our guests have to say about that latest Fed decision. Back with us, Steve Skanky, Chief Economic Advisor at Keel Point, former U.S. Treasury and White House National Security Council staff member. Uh, based in Washington, D.C., he is on the phone in Florida on this Fed Wednesday. Also with us, Bloomberg Economics Chief U.S. Economist Carl Riccadonna, and he is on the phone in New Jersey. Carl, I'm going to kick it off with you. Uh, I feel like this was, to some extent, an easy one to predict, right, in terms of what the Fed would uh, would do. And basically, they did nothing. 
Carol, the paint is officially dry and the, uh, the grass has grown, uh, so we can uh, close the book on that one. Yeah. Um, this was largely expected to be a kind of non-event uh, Fed meeting, but I think there is some important nuance uh, to be had from it. Uh, first of all, the Fed made some very straightforward acknowledgments that the economy is improving, especially those hard-hit sectors uh, are coming back. Uh, and they acknowledge the uh, pickup in inflation pressures. But the fact that the Fed is just sticking to the same playbook uh, that they've been using for quite some time now uh, tells you that they are confident in their assessment of the economy, that A, the, the economy is coming back in a robust fashion, uh, but also B, uh, that uh, we are not seeing uh, an unmooring of inflation pressures in the economy. The, the, the statement explicitly stated uh, largely... Uh, reflecting transitory factors as they talked about the pickup in inflation. So this is a Fed that is not panicking. And the final point worth noting was that Chair Powell said uh, it is still not time to even talk about talking about tapering uh, asset purchases. <laughs> not even time. So just uh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me any more questions about it. Uh, Steve Skanky, come on in here and, and give us your reaction. Um, are you thinking similar to the way the Carl is thinking? They're relatively uh, relatively non-eventful but still some nuance in it yeah absolutely uh, and and thanks for having me on uh, it, it's interesting uh, it would be hard to expect that they were going to do anything uh, it was not their intention to do anything the big risk was that uh, chair powell uh, might say something that would be misinterpreted uh, uh, but even within that uh, you know markets uh, were really expecting that they'd have something from them uh, <laughs> That maybe, uh, you know, the, the good news in the March employment, you know, almost a million uh, or a little uh, bump up in, uh, in headline inflation uh, uh, would, uh, would trigger something. Uh, but, uh, but he pointed out near the end of the press conference, he said, uh, we're waiting. We, we said in December, we're waiting for substantial further progress toward our goal. And, and we haven't seen it. Uh, you know, one one month of, of good employment numbers is not substantial further progress. Uh, and, and I agree with uh, Carl. They're they're confident of their take on the economy, and I would just add that they're confident of their plan. That uh, that as it fits in with the uh, the fiscal program, the public health program, uh, that they're that they're moving along in a good way. You know, and I have to say, I found it really interesting too. His focus on the labor market, Carl, because he said, you know, we're still a long way from full employment, a long ways to go is what he said. Uh, and if we think about just before the pandemic, right, we were seeing tightness, we were seeing wages, you know, among those lower level jobs going up. And we're a long way from that, Carl. Uh, we are certainly a long way from that, Carol. Now, uh, back when Janet Yellen was uh, Fed chair, we talked about her dashboard of labor market indicators, and you could envision lots of flashing lights and gauges and dials <laughs> and uh, different things she was looking at. Uh, and, and that's what happens when a, a PhD is at the uh, helm of the uh, Fed, right? There's lots of complexity. Uh, Jay Powell is much more straightforward. There is one key barometer he is continuing to beat the drum on, uh, and that is the jobs deficit uh, re where we are now relative to where we were pre-pandemic. Now, it's an imperfect metric because the, the economy grows, the size of the population grows, there's more workers now than there uh, were last year uh, uh, at, at this time, as we see from the latest census results. Um, we are 8.4 million jobs below uh, where we were 
in uh, February of last year. That means that we need to see March times eight or nine uh, to really be absorbing uh, the slack that uh, Jay Powell is so focused on. When we get to that point, we should see an unemployment rate at three and a half percent, and we'll see the the very early signals of wage pressures that we were starting to see just hints and whiffs of uh, before the uh, pandemic uh, wreaked havoc on but the economy. It, it's so interesting because we are we are hearing anecdotal reports of wage pressures. I mean, Chipotle's CEO telling us last week that it's hard to keep in people employed. Uh, there's a, in the current issue of Bloomberg Business Week, there's a story about Uber and Lyft drivers and customers are returning faster than Uber and Lyft drivers are willing to return and willing to drive right now. And as a result, Uber and Lyft are, are having to actually pay incentives in order to get those drivers on the roads. So, so why is there this disconnect when there are so many people who are unemployed, but companies still are finding it difficult to actually get these people, Carl? Well, Tim, that's the that, that's the beverage curve, uh, as economists call it. It's the hmm. mismatch between the demand and, and skill set uh, at any point during the economy. But uh, we're seeing this now as we see this you know very rapid reopening. The U.S. economy is geared to grow at about a two percent pace. It's going to grow seven point seven percent in the, uh, the the current year. So, of course, there are frictions and bottlenecks. Uh, but uh, there's lots of industries that are not seeing significant wage pressures. And so as we look at measures like average hourly earnings or the employment cost index, which is out this uh, Friday, uh, we're just not seeing uh, an alarming uh, pickup in wage pressures that would really signal that this could be something with a little bit of staying power. Mm-hmm. And the, the footnote I'll add to this uh, question uh, is Labor Day. So as we think about labor, think about Labor Day of this year, uh, it will be September when a lot of these expanded unemployment insurance benefits expire. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, uh, for a lot of folks, it will make more sense to go take a job paying 12 or $15 per hour uh, than to continue to collect mm-hmm. unemployment benefits. So there is a little bit of a, uh, a sustained impact uh, from the, uh, from the uh, economic downturn and the special measures that were, were put in place to help prop up the economy in the interim. Uh, it's not timed perfectly, the expiration, but I think when we uh, we see September roll around, you will suddenly see a little bit of a change in the dynamics around uh, labor supply. John Taffer from Bar Rescue, that's exactly what he talked about. He works with small businesses, restaurant owners around the country, and he said part of what's uh, really hurting restaurant owners right now is that workers don't want to come back because they've got stimulus money, they've mm. got unemployment benefits, and they're okay kind of riding it out a little bit more. Steve Skanky, one of the things that in your notes that you shared with us ahead of the Fed meeting is, you know, markets being surprised at the Fed's patience, but it does seem like markets are kind of, for the most part, taking it in stride that the Fed is still going to be patient. They're going to wait for their economic tests, uh, for those metrics to guide them in terms of what they do next. What do you take of kind of markets being kind of okay with this? Well, it's, uh, um, it's a little bit of, uh, well, what can they, what, what they, what can they really do? What can they really say? Uh, and the truth is, uh, when, when Jay Powell pointed out that, you know, they're looking for a, a string of million-dollar job growth months. Uh, mm-hmm. And as uh, Carl pointed out, that, that's seven or eight uh, before we get back to the number uh, of February of last year, this job deficit. That doesn't even take account for the uh, you know, the, the growing of the labor force naturally, irrespective of what the participation rate is. Uh, and uh, but month by month, we're, we're going to see we're going to see 
greater tension uh, factoring into uh, this surprise at the, uh, the Fed's patience. Um, I, I think what's really interesting and different about this is that historically the Fed has always reacted on forecast information, and at their last meeting they were very clear to point out we're waiting to see actual results. We want to see it passing in front of us, hmm. not uh, not hearing uh, what the forecast is. Right. And that's, that, that's a big difference and, and one that's not fully accepted yet. The other thing is that this Fed in particular, and Jay Powell has talked about it several times, even before the pandemic, uh, that they are just acutely aware that that employment uh, and job growth and wage growth reaches the disadvantaged and minority labor sectors only late in the economic growth cycle, and and that the Fed uh, has as its full employment goals uh, job job benefits for this broadly diversified uh, cross-section or all sectors of the labor force. And, and, and so they are going. We're going to see that they are going to wait longer than anyone expects, um, and and let the inflation side of it run a little bit hot, uh, so that uh, all of those folks who have been disadvantaged and put out of their jobs, or retired, or left the labor force, or whatever, um, until they've had an opportunity really to experience the uh, the rebound. Uh, and what's also different now than, than it was a few years ago is that we have a today a Congress, and, and certainly for the next four years, a White House that is very much behind that patient waiting mm-hmm. to get those uh, employment benefits and wage growth benefits pushed out as broadly as they can before we become very concerned about inflation. Hey, I think that's a really good point. Carl, just got about 45 seconds left here. Our Fed Live blog uh, talking about a Goldilocks economy. It almost feels that way. And it certainly feels like if I look at both the equity and the Treasury market uh, in terms of reaction, they seemed really comfortable with where we are, where we might be headed uh, over the next few months. How do you see it? Would you use the word Goldilocks? I'm not going to use Goldilocks because I'm going to stick to that barometer that uh, Chair Powell mentioned, uh, 8.4 million individuals who had jobs last February uh, are now sitting on the sidelines of the uh, labor market. And that's causing skill atrophy and uh, missed benefits, missed uh, 401k and retirement. Not Goldilocks for them, uh, right? All sorts of problems. So it's not it's not quite uh, Goldilocks just yet. And to summarize Steve's point, uh, you know, in terms of the inflation outlook, uh, back with uh, uh, Bernanke and Yellen, it was looking for the whites of the eyes of inflation. Uh, now it's uh, looking for inflation's tailcoats. <laughs> well said, well said, both of you. <laughs> what a perfect little roundtable. Thank you, guys, uh, and be well. Steve Skanke, Chief Economic Advisor at Keel Point, former U.S. Treasury and White House National Security Council staff member, joining us on the phone in Florida, and our own wonderful Bloomberg Economics Chief U.S. Economist Carl Riccadonna on the phone in New Jersey. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio.
Yes, indeed. Just about 10 minutes left in the trading session. What a blockbuster day. What a blockbuster week. Lots of big tech earnings. You've got the Fed meeting, of course, today. Looks like equities firmed up a little bit following that Fed meeting and Fed press conference with Jay Powell. But nonetheless, uh, the trade pretty much where it was uh, pre-Fed announcement. Let's get to it. Let's do the drive to the close with J.J. Kinahan back with us. He's Chief Market Strategist at TD Ameritrade uh, here on the phone in Chicago. Hey, J.J., how are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Well, good to have you. Uh, where shall we begin? What's your focus on? Is it Fed, what Jay Powell had to say? Has it been on these big tech earnings? Is it earnings in general? I'm just curious. What is it like you get up in the morning and what you want to know, besides maybe what you're having for uh, breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> I still think it's earnings, Carol. Uh, you know, earnings ultimately drive stocks longer term. I, you know, the Fed today, as you said, we had the initial pop, but I don't think they really told us anything we didn't already know. This is one of the few times, you know, coming into the week, uh, especially over the last few Fed meetings, where I thought the Fed might be the third most important story of the week behind all these big earnings, GDP, uh, and, 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 you know, the Fed, because I think it's an expectation that they really wouldn't say anything, and I don't think they necessarily have. Not a criticism, just, you know, that, that this is how they're sticking to the script. So it's a market that's now focused on earnings, right? Uh, okay. Absolutely. So to that end, one thing that's interesting that's played out over the last few weeks for the first quarter reports is that many companies have reported a significant beat in the top and the bottom line. But as a result, the company's stock hasn't moved significantly. So talk a little bit about expectations versus reality and what investors want to see in order to, to move the company's stock. Yeah, I, I think it's a great point. I mean, you really had to destroy earnings to uh, get an upside here. Yeah, look, know, what about, look, what, look what happened to Tesla. Look what happened to Goldman Sachs. Yeah. Know, Tesla. You're right. I mean, Goldman Sachs to me was they got up, what was that, 2% on the day, and they had an unbelievable quarter. You know, you did see stocks like UPS, which were able to overcome this. Uh, but overall, it, it, people talk about low expectations. But one thing I will say in this earnings season, if you did not beat revenue, you had absolutely no chance. It didn't matter what you said besides that. You had to beat revenue, and you had to paint a really good picture going forward. The other thing about it was if you had a good run-up over the last couple of months, you weren't necessarily going to get rewarded for good earnings. That's actually okay. People are like, oh, we need to sell off, et cetera. Doesn't this, for those who've been calling for a sell-off for a long time, when you have really good earnings from a lot of companies and you don't have a sell-off, it kind of works the same way a little bit. It's people taking a breather, reassessing. Yeah, let's be real. I mean, Tesla was up 743%, 743% last year. That's what you call a good year, Carol. That's what I call an unbelievable year. Like, if I don't do anything for the next five years, I think I'm pretty good. So, right? Yeah, like, take a breather. And I think that's what you're seeing is people, you know, taking a breather and saying, okay, what should be our realistic expectations for going back the economy reopening and we're continuing to see that tug of war if you will between the stay-at-home stocks and the uh economy opening up stocks i think people are still questioning which way should we go right here is it too early to sort of toss away those stay-at-home stocks and it certainly doesn't look that way so 
what are you thinking about in terms of themes that have emerged, especially with this week when we've seen so much come from big tech? We've talked a little bit about inflation in the context of, of rising input costs and those being passed on to consumers, especially with regard to the companies that we heard from last week, but even the companies that we're hearing from this week. What are the big themes that are, that are sticking out to you when you were hearing from these companies and the way that they're thinking about the economy and they're thinking about inflation? I, I actually think it's uh, for, for the companies themselves. I'll, I'll talk about inflation in a moment, if you don't mind, Tim. Uh, I actually think it's a pretty good message. You know, you, you see things again. Another uh, stock down today, Microsoft. Pretty good message overall, though. They're, they're, they're very much believers in everything that they're doing going forward. I think the takeaway for me has been tech, very healthy. Again, a breather, but longer term, still a lot of uh, – growth opportunities as the economy re- returns to, and I'm using air quotes, normal. The inflationary concerns seem to be real. You, you look at the raw commodities themselves, like corn, soybeans, that are gone up quite a bit. Then you have the Procter & Gamble's and the Coca-Cola's of the world talking about raising prices. You had JetBlue talking about fuel prices being higher. So many had called for fourth quarter uh, pressure on inflation. I certainly don't think that's off the table. All right. So what do you what would you be buying in this environment? What would you be selling? Well, I think the, 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 the most interesting area to me and it's been for the year so far is still financials. I find it hard to believe if you're looking for, you know, out for the year, they had a very good quarter overall. Those that have trading arms took great advantage of the trading environment. And it's just hard for me to believe that we don't continue to see rate pressure throughout the year, whether bought on from the Fed or just market pressures overall. So I still think that's the most interesting area overall. Uh, the, the, the area that probably is, I don't know, a little bit a little bit more, shall we say, unclear to me is energy. Because mm-hmm. even though, I, you know, I, I know I'm which is on fire today, which is on fire today. And I know I'm talking about inflation <laughs> on the one hand. But crude oil just can't seem to get out of its own way once it gets above sixty-five dollars. Hmm. So here, here we are uh, in in the midst of earnings. I'm, uh, you know, it's my favorite time of year. Carol knows it. It's my favorite week of the, <laughs> the quarter right now. Time of the year. <laughs> favorite time of the quarter, I should say. We Nothing get it under the Christmas the tree, but still, it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, why do you, Why do you think still we're having so much trouble hearing from um, CFOs about outlook? And, and not to harp on Tesla, but that was really what drove the company's stock down. Right? It was the fact that mm-hmm. it wasn't willing to give guidance. Um, and it does seem that there's a lot of uncertainty still. It does. But, you know, think about all the companies. I know, you know, our company's going through it. I, I believe yours is. What's our back to work policy? Oh, How we're here. We go forward. We're here. No, I, I know you <laughs> are, but not. No, I know what in, you're saying. In, in the, uh, yeah. So I think that that has a little bit to do with it also is companies are still struggling with so much. There's probably uh, I, there will be more pressure on companies to allow more freedom for people uh, at work. So how do you take that into the routine you had before? It's one thing when everybody's at work, one thing when everybody's at home. Right. But when you have this mix of some at home, some at work, that's where you can start to get uh, a little bit of slippage, if you will, in communication, which is hard enough as it is. So I think that really a lot of the companies are just trying to figure that out. And, you know, right. for the automakers, 
Uh, I think the chip shortage is starting to play into that also as they right. try and figure out with Intel CEO talk about two years. Right. That's, that's a big, it's a long time. Well, and we'll find out what Ford has to say when they report earnings after the close. JJ Kinahan, good to check in with you. Chief Market Strategist over at TD Ameritrade, joining us on the phone from Chicago. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.